Okay, I want to just mention that uh, the shir is dedicated by the family of Dr. Chuck Feldman. And I think the blurb here is correct. A memory of an exemplary model of dedication to family, community, and Torah education. Um, there is this idea that Balabatim can actually change the world. And Dr. Feldman was such a Balabas. He was interested in making things better, and he did make things better. And I had the privilege of knowing him, but, you know, late in life. But it was a privilege nonetheless. This year is a shear for the parish of Yeshev. But also, really, it's an ex- just an excuse for talking about Hanukkah a little bit. Now, how do you get from Vayeshev to Hanukkah? Very easy. If you look at the sheet, at the top of the sheet, there's a Gemara. The sheet quotes a Gemara. Omar Kahana. Darash Rav Nosem Mishmei there is a halacha that the ner, the light that you light, the Hanukkah candles, can't be more than 20 amot high. And if it's more than 20 amot high, the, the Gemara says psula, which I guess means that you're not Mikhaim the mitzvah. You didn't do the mitzvah. You put the Ner Hanukkah all the way up it's like really high now uh, of course there are some exclusions here, if you live in a building on the 33rd floor of a building so then there's a problem about where you light uh, the menorah in Yerushalayim in Yerushalayim uh, where the buildings are not that high and the entranceway to the building belongs to all of the Dayarim, all the people who live in the building. So a lot of people in Yerushalayim prefer to light the menorah at the entranceway to the building instead of the entranceway to their house or even what they used to do in Chutzlaretz. Well, let me just start over again. I mean, it's all... uh, um, it, It doesn't seem to be clear, but originally... The Gemara says you should light the menorah at the doorway to your house. And if there's a yard in front of the doorway, so you should light the menorah at the opening of the yard. The way you go into your, you go into a yard, then you go into your house. So you should light the menorah over there. Over the years, as the years passed, the non-Jews apparently felt that Jewish menorah lighting was a subversive act and it made it very uncomfortable for the Jews to do that. And so the minute arose that you could light the menorah in your house against what the Gemara says. Now whether that was itself a takana or as the Chachamim said at some later date you don't have to do what we used to do you could do it this way and therefore, people who think that continue to light the menorah in their house to today, you know, as well. In bells, for example, are neighbors of mine, the, the great bells, Beit mm-hmm. Mikdash. Uh, uh, the Rebbe lights the menorah at 8 o'clock at night in his, the place where they have Tishim, you know, the Cheder, the Tish is a, in Hebrew they call it the Shulchan, but I don't, I find that a strange word. The idea is you eat together with the Rebbe and then the Rebbe talks and it's very nice, nice thing. Uh, 
so the, the Belzer Rebbe lights the menorah at 8 o'clock at night in the cheder uh, in the cheder hatishim and the people who see this menorah are the people who are there you can't see outside there's no outside there are no windows there's nothing you know so that that he maintains this minhag that was established against what the Gemara says the Gemara says you should light the menorah outside in a place where everybody could see it but as I say it became uncomfortable for Jews to light the menorah outside and so the Chachamim said okay light it inside now did they mean forever did they mean temporarily so there are teams as there always are amongst the Jews so one team always lights it inside inside your house or in a window sometimes and the other team which is uh, the team of Yerushalayim and B'nai Brak they try most people like you know learned Torah kind of people try to light the menorah at the entrance to their house or if there's a chatzer in front of their house a yard they light the menorah at the entrance to the at the entrance to the yard as the Gevara says now what's the issue What's the issue? So Rashi says, Rashi says, Psula, why is it that if you like the menorah more than 20 amot high, you don't do the mitzvah, the mitzvah's not done. The lo shalta ba'ena. Your eye doesn't see the light of the menorah, lemalam esrim ama. If it's above esrim ama. The leka pirsume nisa. That, that means that Rashi's understanding of the Gemara is that if you light the Hanukkah menorah in a way which uh, uh, obviates Pirsume Nisa, right, you didn't do the mitzvah. So that Pirsume Nisa is a part of the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah. There's another part to the mitzvah. There are different pieces to the mitzvah of the menorah. For example, we light the menorah in the manner of Beit Hillel. Right? One candle the first night, two candles the second night, etc. till eight, right? We, that's how we do it. Therefore, another aspect of the menorah is that somehow every day is different. Each of the eight days, why do we light the menorah for eight days? Because each day is different. There's also a nace connected to the eight days, as you know. The, they came, the Chashvonaim came to the Beit HaMikdash, and they found a little bit of oil, enough for one day, and it lasted, it lasted for eight days. Right? The tour asked that famous question that you may have all, you know, you should have all heard at some time or other, if there was enough oil for eight days, how come we say there were eight days of miracles? One day of oil they had. So we should have said there are only seven days, seven days of miracles, to which there are many, uh, many answers. One answer, one answer was that uh, what they did was they took the little bit of oil that they had and they divided it into eight portions. Right? Of course, each portion could only burn for a little bit of time. And the miracle was that on each day, the menorah, the light of the menorah burnt from the night till the morning, even though it was only very little oil. So it turns out that the miracle was 
an eight-day miracle. And now we come to the essential question. What nace is it that we are trying to advertise, Pirsume Nisa, and to whom are we advertising it? So, uh, to me, it was always uh, a bit problematic. It was always a bit problematic because it seemed to be that, uh, that I was brought up in the world of the Rambam. And the Rambam, the Rambam didn't set much stock by miracles. The Rambam didn't think that faith based on miracles was very strong. His miracles, you know, they can be confusing. One generation will say it's a miracle, the next generation will come and say, you know, one generation will say that the, uh, the uh, eclipse of the sun or eclipse of that's a miracle, like it could never happen. And another generation will look in the almanac and the almanac will tell you how many, when the next uh, um, uh, eclipse of the sun is. So you see a situation where people thought there was a miracle. And then later on they decided that maybe it wasn't a miracle. So the Rambam says, if you look carefully at the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, you'll see that most of the miracles that are um, that took place uh, for Am Yisrael in Yitziat Mitzrayim, most of those miracles were for a particular purpose. They needed water, so water came out of a rock. They needed meat, so the birds flew and like collapsed all over all over Am Yisrael. But they don't have any particular meaning as far as faith is concerned, except for Kriyat Yamsuf, where the Ramam agreed that that was a remarkable that was a remarkable thing. So uh, we don't usually celebrate miracles. Like what would be the point? What's the point of celebrating a miracle? Anybody who believes in God, anybody who believes, probably would agree that God could make a little bit of oil last a long time. So that the celebration of such a miracle is, well, if not problematic, seems to be unnecessary, otios, in a way. I mean, why, why should I celebrate the fact that God made a little bit of oil last all night long. I mean, what difference does it make if it lasted all night long, or two nights long, or eight days long? I mean, what, what's the point? There was such an unbelievable event that took place. It was an unbelievable event. The Jews somehow stood up against a well-trained Greek army, and if you go through Al-Hanisim, you go through the prayer that we add in Shvona Esrei and in Berkat Amazon. You go through El Avadisim. You see, everything was a miracle. It was Rabim Biad Ma'atim and Tahorim, Tmeim Biad Tahorim. It was it was an unlikely event in the in the words of Chazal. That's a miracle. That's a real miracle where on the human level, on the human level, something happens that you didn't expect, you didn't think about, you didn't know about. I mean, why, why again this obsession with the eight days of oil? Now I want to introduce again uh, uh, another short introduction to remind you about the Beit HaMikdash. It's very important to remember that the Beit HaMikdash there was a room called Kodesh Kadashim. In that room, there was an Aron. There was an Ark. And in that Ark, there was the Torah. 
Okay, I, I, without discussing what exactly the Torah was, you know, what exactly was in the Ark, but there's no doubt that the Aseret that they wrote, that the Ten Commandments that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down the second time from Har Sinai was in that Aron. And what? Huh? Yeah, but I won't talk about the Torah. The Torah was in the ark. There were other things in the ark. That's true. I mean, I'm not telling you everything was in the ark, but the Torah was in the ark, and the Sefer Torah was either in the ark or next to the ark. It's a machloket in the Gemara whether there was a uh, a madaf, uh, a shelf that came out from the ark on which they put the Aaron or the, the Sefer Torah or the Sefer Torah was in the ark. But in any event, it doesn't make any difference. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that the ultimate Sefer Torah was in the Aron HaKodesh. Ultimate, meaning that it was the most perfect one. It was the one that had absolutely no mistakes. The Gemara says that there were three other Sifrei Torah in the, in the uh, Beit HaMikdash that were used by the people who wrote Sifrei Torah to check the Girsa, to make sure they they'd written it correctly. Which means, which means that of course at those days the possibility of writing a Sefer Torah incorrectly was tremendous. I mean, everybody knows that today. If you take a Sefer Torah, any Sefer Torah that's a hundred years old, that Jews read from for the last hundred years in the most uh, kind of illustrious shul or neighborhood that you want, then you put it into the computer that checks these things. Now, the, the computer doesn't check for mistakes. It only checks malay v'chaser. That's all this stupid computer is able to do. Malay v'chaser means with above, without above. Like, you know, the vowel O, you could write it in the Torah, with above or without above. So the computer can check, check that, like zzzz. It checks it. You'll always find mistakes. Always. I'm dramatizing it. Maybe there's one that you're not going to find the mistake. But very often you will find mistakes, which means that the human uh, element is so overwhelming that it's very difficult to produce a safe Torah that has no mistakes in it. Very, very difficult. Even though they read from the safe Torah again and again and again, you can't find... So there were these Sifrei Torah that were written and put into the Beit HaMikdash so that people could check to find out. The end of the story has to do with Ezra, who, who had to fix the Sefer Torah, but that's, you know, the thing is too far afield. So in the Aaron Kodesh, back to the Aaron Kodesh, there was the perfect Torah, the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, the Aseret that they brought, that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from heaven. All of that was in the Aaron Kodesh. Now in the next room, the room next to that room, which was Kodesh Kodashim, the room that the Kohen Gadol went into on Yom Kippurim and asked uh, for God's forgiveness for Am Yisrael. Next to that, there was a room twice the size of that room, in which there were several objects, but the one that interests me is the menorah. There was a menorah in that room, in this room next to the Arona Kodesh. Now that menorah, that candelabrum had seven kanim, right? Three, three, and one in the middle, right? Seven, not eight, seven. That menorah 
was lit every night by the Kohen Gadol. He came in, he came in, and he uh, cleaned out the cups for the oil. He poured in new oil, fixed the wicks, and lit it. And he had a little, uh, a little ladder, like a two-step ladder, where he could get up to put the oil in and then the wicks. And there was a special way to put the wicks. They were faced this way, they faced that way. And then he lit the menorah every night. He lit the menorah. And then he left. Then he left. And the odd thing about this mitzvah of Hadlatat HaMenorah was that there was nobody there. And the menorah made light for nobody. There was no one that we know of who benefited from the light of that menorah. So, so it's a mystery. The menorah, it's a mystery. If you look at the last uh, uh, thing on the sheet, the last pasuk on the sheet, the pasuk from Malachim Aleph pasuk Dalet, which describes the building of the Beit HaMikdash by Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech built the Beit HaMikdash. There are certain ways it was similar to the Mishkan that was built by Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert. But in many ways, it was differentiated from that Mishkan. This Pasuk, this Pasuk says as follows, Vayas Labayit Chaloneish Kufim Atumim. Vayas Labayit, the Bayit is the Beit HaMikdash, Chalonot, windows, Shkufim Atumim. Now, the word Shakuf in modern Hebrew, means like so transparent. You could see through them. And atumim means covered up. How could a window at the same time be shakuf and be atum? How can you be at the same time open and closed? Right? It can't be. So Rashi, Rashi to deal with this problem, if you look at the Rashi, at the bottom of the sheet, at the bottom of the sheet, Rabotenu Perishu, Shkufim l'shon re'iyah That the word shkufim means They could see They could see through the window Upticha V'hashkafa Petuchim mibachutz V'atumim mibifnim K'tsarim mibifnim Just we'll stop We'll stop for a minute Do you know in Israel they have these crusader fortresses and then uh, uh, rebuilt by the English when they were around here they're they're called Taggart Forts Uh, and the Taggart Forts have a window and the window of the Taggart Fort is curiously very narrow on the inside and very wide on the outside and the reason for that is that the guy with the bow and the arrows inside inside was standing at the window well he didn't want the people outside to see him but he wanted to see them and the trick that they used was making the windows very narrow so the arrow could could get out but you couldn't see in because the the structure of the the window which was wide on the outside and narrow on the inside prevented you from looking in so Rashi says again look at the Rashi Shkufim Lashon Re'iyash, Kufim means they could see. Upticha, Vahashkafa, 
פיתוחים מבחוץ ואטומים מבפנים. They were wide open on the outside and they were closed in on the inside. קצרים מבפנים שלא כדרך שאר חלונות. That they were different than all of the other חלונות אחרות עשויות למאור להראות שאינו צריך לאורה. Right? Somehow to show uh, that you don't need the light. I don't need the light coming in from the outside. Right? But I have... So if you don't need the... So what do you need the window for if you don't need the light coming from the outside in the Beit HaMikdash? So, I have to say that on the way here, my wife said, said to me, why don't you ever mention something that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said? Oh, you said that? Excuse me, Miriam. Uh, Batsheva, she said, why don't you ever mention something that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said? So I will. The Lubavitcher Rebbe said, in volume two of the Sichot, that's what I got up to. There were like 30 volumes. I got up to volume two. So the, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said, uh, said this, that in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Beit HaMikdash, the light of the menorah was not made to light up anything in that room. There wasn't anybody there. But the windows, which were shkufim atumim, he said, enabled the light of the menorah to burst forth out of the Beit HaMikdash and to affect whatever it would affect outside of the Beit HaMikdash and not inside of the Beit HaMikdash. And that was the mitzvah that was given to Aaron HaKoin at the beginning of the parasha of Baha'u And you remember that, Ava, that Rashi says Shema? I didn't hear. Still didn't hear. Otpa. Okay, that, that Aaron Akoin, Aaron Akoin fainted. He, he fainted. Why did he faint? Because the, the, the Nisi'im, the heads of each tribe, bought korbanot lechanukat hamizbeach. They brought korbanot lechanukat hamizbeach. And, and he fainted. He said, how could it be that I, Aaron Akoi, am not bringing korbanot for Chanukat HaMizbeach? And they, the Nesiyim, are all bringing korbanot. So I guess he felt that this was... Uh, so HaKadosh Baruch said to Aaron Akoi, according to the Bedrash, that is brought by Rashi, and then analyzed by the Ramban, a worthy enterprise, the... the uh, the Bedrash says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu went to Aaron HaKadosh and told him, Shelcha Gidola Mishelahem. You're going to get more than they have. What do they have? That's an interesting question. I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They bring these korbanot. Shelcha Gidola. What is so great about what you're going to get? So the Bedrash said, because in the time of the Hashmonaim, they're going to go and light the candles. And as a result of lighting the candles in the Beit HaMikdash, they're going to light the candles in every Jewish home 
in the world. They're going to light the candles in every Jewish home in the world. What's the connection? What's the connection? Aaron Akkoin wanted to do something in the Beit HaMikdash. Right? Aaron Akkoin wanted to do something in the Beit HaMikdash. Because Moses says, okay, you know, another thousand years, everybody's going to light a few candles for a week in their house. What's the exact connection between these two, between these two ideas? So, you have to understand. <coughs> the Babashi Rebbe said, the Rabbi there's one thing that's done in the Beit HaMikdash which has nothing to do with the Beit HaMikdash. And that's the lighting of the menorah. The lighting of the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash has nothing to do with the Beit HaMikdash because what do you get from menorah? You get light. And since there's nobody there, the Kohen Gadol lights the menorah and he leaves. So it must be, he said, the Rebbe said, it must be that the lighting of the menorah and the Beit HaMikdash has nothing to do with anything that concerns the Beit HaMikdash. It just happens to be there. So what does it have to do? It has to do with producing light for B'nai Israel outside of the Beit HaMikdash. And that light, which of course we know Torah or that the, the model or the metaphor, one of the metaphors used for Torah is or is light. But it's interesting that the way he understood it, that the Torah that's in the other room, right, the Aaron Kodesh, the Torah, is connected to the people in the world, to the Jewish people in the world, through the light of the menorah. You can say, what's the menorah? Well, suppose it's like a, like a booster. It boosts the Torah in the little room, into every room, into every room in the world. So it would turn out, therefore, it turns out, therefore, that the Pirsumei Nisa, the Pirsumei Nisa is not about the oil. The Pirsumei is not about the oil. The Pirsumei Nisa is about the fact that B'nai Israel understood something. Right? They understood something. They, they, they understood that they could not live without the light of the menorah. That the light of the menorah, even though it was true that they went to purify the Mikdash and to uh, 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 re-establish the Seder Havoda, the order of service in the Beit HaMikdash, but they understood when they looked around that, that the real deficiency that they were suffering from was not giving a korban. That could wait. Another day, another day until everything was in place, but they were suffering from the disconnectedness between the Torah in the Aron Kodesh and the light that penetrated through the, uh, the various uh, homes of B'nai Yisrael. So that the lighting of the menorah the lighting of the Nora is, is about the different topic. It's about the light in the houses. And that's what the Gemara says, right? The Gemara says, Ner Ishu Beito. It's a, a, a Bayit holiday. It's a Bayit holiday. It goes for everybody. It's not like a Lula of the Esrog, right? Lula of the Esrog, everybody, everybody does it. Everybody does the mitzvah. If you have to do it, you do it. If you don't have to do it, you do it also if you want to do it, right? You, you, you do the mitzvah. That's, uh, that's lulav and etrog. Matzah. You eat a matzah on Pesach. There's nothing to do with your family. 
Every person, and you might do it in a family setting, it might be very nice to learn the Haggadah that way, but there is a certain kind of feeling that you have an individual obligation to eat a matzah. This is not the halacha when it comes to Neirot Hanukkah. Neirot Hanukkah is a family affair, right? The, somebody likes the menorah, there it could be, it could be, I mean, traditionally, of course, it's the husband, as you, you may have heard, that that's a weird traditional operation. But uh, there's no reason that a woman couldn't like the menorah for her family. I mean, she certainly can. Certainly, if, uh, if the husband is not there. Uh, today, a lot of young people, a lot of young married people do miluim, uh, even on Hanukkah, and especially now. So, the, so, so since the, the holiday is a holiday of the family, it's a holiday of the buy-in, it's like we don't tell the, wouldn't tell the husband who's in the middle of nowhere to light the Hanukkah menorah in the middle of nowhere. But we tell his wife to light the Hanukkah menorah because she is the buy-in at that time. And he associates himself with her. He associates himself with her lighting, lighting the, the menorah in their, in their home. Right to buy it. Uh, of course, if you if you try to uh, if you're a Lubavitcher, you'll do it anyway, wherever you happen to be. But otherwise, you don't have to. Otherwise, you don't have to. So that that the pirsume nisa, the pirsume nisa that you do with the uh, 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 with the neirot of Hanukkah, is the recognition that you can't do without it. And and the fact is, the fact is that that we're makpid, right, to light eight candles, whereas as I mentioned before in the Beit Hamikdash there are only seven. So that the menorah that we light in our home is not instead of the menorah in the Beit Hamikdash. You know, there was a problem in the state of Israel. You know that. I don't know how, how it is today exactly, but they were, when the state of Israel was established, they were looking for a symbol, right? And they used the menorah. They used the menorah as a... So that was a, some kind of a halachic problem because it, it's only supposed to be a menorah in the Beit HaMikdash. You shouldn't like just have a menorah. So you see that the menorah of Hanukkah is not the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash. It's not. What it is is light. That's what it is. It was, it's the Pursume Nisa. The Pursume Nisa that people recognize the fact that the light of, of, of the menorah was something that they really needed, something that was necessary, something that was necessary for them as well. Uh, so some of these halachot are on the, sh- on the sheet. I would like to... Uh, I'd like to learn uh, the one, the, the last one, right? The last one, Shukhan Arachar Chaim, Hechot Chanukah Tavresh Ayin Bet Bet. You see that? The last large paragraph. So this is the Shukhan The Shukhan says, Shakach, O Hezid, Velohi Dlik, Imshkiyat Hama. He said, The Mechaber holds that, uh, uh, that you should light. Uh, with Shkiat Hama, right here in Yerushalayim, many people have adopted this minhag. Shkiat Hama is about 440. 441, 442, I'm not good at that, but around 440. So, in, in other words, it's the first time in the next day that you can light the Hanukkah menorah. So, like all mitzvot, 
all mitzvot, you have the rule of mitzvah baliyadcha al tachmitzadeh. You shouldn't just put it off. You could do it, so do it. Right? There is this this idea that appears in various places in the halacha that that a, a person should not assume that he has all the time in the world. Right? I mean, this is the Mesilat Yisharim talks about this uh, very uh, very impressively. He says you shouldn't think just the idea that you say I'll do it later. Right, that this is a bad human trait. And certainly when it comes to mitzvot, it's something that should be avoided. So in Yerushalayim, well also Yerushalayim, we have this tremendous advantage in Yerushalayim that nobody works. So everybody could be home at 440, right? It's like, uh, uh, it's obvious. So in the, in, the, in the diaspora, everybody worked. So nobody was ever able to come home at the, to light the menorah at that hour. So in Yerushalayim, many, many people light the Hanukkah menorah according to the Shulchan Aruch, the, the, the Mechaber, who said, who said, Im hachama. When the sun goes down, that's the beginning of the next day, and that's the time that you should light, the optimal time for lighting the menorah. Madlik v'holeh, so if you didn't do that, achetichleh regel menashuk. So you continue, you can light later. How late can you light? L'chatchila, a priori. How late can you light? As long as there are people there to see the, the candles that you have, that you have lit. Shehu kimo chatzi sha'a. Sha'a za'am ozrim v'shavim v'ika pirsume nisa. So then the people go hither and yon, and there is Pirsume Nisa. Right? Pirsume Nisa, all those people out there. But what nace is it that they are uh, being exposed to? The nace of the light. Not the nace of the little bit of oil becoming a lot of oil. I mean, we could put that in also. I don't want to disabuse anybody of that idea. But my idea was that that's not the point. Therefore, when you start out, you have to put in that much oil, oil that will burn at least for a half hour, so you can do the Pirsume Nisa in the proper way. So we've learned two things from this halacha. One is that the optimal time for lighting the menorah is at Shkia. At ought to do that. You know, you have to daven mincha before and daven marav afterwards. So you know, if you go to that kind of, if you're associated with that kind of a shul, so that's what they do. Hilkach tzarichli tema shemen kazeh sheur ve'im natan ba yoter yecholech abotel achashe avar zehazman. Don't be afraid. The, the mechaber says, if the candles burnt for uh, a half hour and uh, the people in the shuk saw your candles. Uh, then you've done the mitzvah. It's over, and you can you can douse the lights. You can just turn them turn them off and use whatever oil is left for tomorrow. Right? You fill up a cup of oil, and uh, you use some today and use some tomorrow. I think most people wouldn't do that today and just let it burn out and put in new candles or new oil uh, tomorrow. Uh, the Gemara says, the Gemara says you have to distinguish, I mean, especially in, the, in those days, 
all the light in the house came from candles or oil right one of those things so you have to distinguish the candles of Hanukkah from the candles you had in your house and you could and therefore the Gemara says you shouldn't use the Hanukkah candles for anything any particular counting money or reading a book it should be clear to everybody that the Hanukkah candles are for the mitzvah of Hanukkah and not for lighting your house right can you after the half hour is up you can use the light of the of the candle now Hagor Hagor means the Ramah Okay. In other words, the Ramah says that some people say that today, in our time, remember the Ramah is a few years later after the Gemara, the Ramah said in our time we light the candles in the house. So this whole problem of people out of the house seeing it doesn't really exist. So we don't have to light at the optimal time or keep it going for half hour, but the Ramah himself says, the Ramah himself says, You know, and like I say, we're all very conservative, and we'd like the memory of the way they used to do it to be, uh, to be in force. Umihu animilin chatchilo. This is if, if you if you've done it, you have a choice. I will im avar zehazman beloit leak, mad leak v'holet kol alayla. But if he wasn't able to light the candles at that time, mad leak v'holet kol alayla. You have to do the mitzvah, kol alayla. You could even late at night when there's certainly nobody out waiting for you to light the menorah to see what was going on. You can you can madlik v'holech kol alayla v'imavak kol alayla v'lohedlik ein lo tashlumin. But if the entire night has passed and you didn't light the menorah, there's nothing more than you that you can do. Hagar again there are more beleilot acherot madlik k'moshe arbenei adam avvishu lohedlik barishona. Okay, this is the Maharili written. The other nights you should light the regular time, even though you missed, even though you missed the night. So what what seems what, what seems to be indicated is Pirsume Nisa, according to the Shulchan Aruch, part of the mitzvah or not part of the mitzvah? Well, it is and it isn't. Right? It's part of the mitzvah if you can do it. If you if there are still people who are walking around, they will see what you have to see. But if you can't see what you have to see, it's not part of the mitzvah at all. Let's go back to the Gemara that we started from. What? In the house because of safety? No, because the Goyim were not happy about you celebrating the fact that you are a warrior. They like quiet Jews. They don't like war-mongering Jews. So let's look at the Gemara again. You see at the top of the page, the Gemara? Omar Khan, now we'll try to explain the Gemara. Dorash Rav Nosamba Minyame Mishmeida Rabbi Tanchum. Nel Shal Chanukah Shay Nicha Lamala Mesrima Mapsula. What does Psula mean? 
that you can't see it you can't see the light you can't see it if it's higher than 20 amma the lake up here Suvenisa Sarachi says that that Lechatechila right a priori the proper way to do it is to make sure that you have perfect Suvenisa perfect Suvenisa is when the light is clearly connected to the Bayit but if the people in the Bayit can't see the light then there's something wrong and you haven't done the mitzvah you haven't got the mitzvah uh, correctly and then the Gemara adds kisukah to mavoy mavoy will leave out that has to do with Arabic but sukkah what is a sukkah what's the halakha of sukkah that the schach in the sukkah can't be more than 20 amot high why not why can't the schach in the sukkah be more than 20 amot high so you know that sukkah is one of the mitzvot which has an educational factor written into the Torah. The sukkah, about the sukkah, it says, Laman yedu darotechem, in order that all the generations should know. You have to know that the sukkah was where B'nai Yisrael sat when they were in the desert. So what if the schach is more than 20 amot high, and you can't sit, you see the schach? So you're sitting in a sukkah, right? You are sitting in a sukkah. Why is the sukkah psula? Why is the sukkah sukkah psula? Because you, you don't recognize the fact that you're sitting in a sukkah. And that's the idea. The idea is, I've got to know that I'm sitting in a sukkah. So what's the idea of Adlakat Ner Chanukah? I've got to know why I'm lighting the candles of Chanukah. And the reason that I'm lighting the candles for Hanukkah is not because God made a little bit of oil go a long way. Certainly, that happened. But it's not something that is particularly impressive. If God could create the world, it's likely that God could make the oil burn for eight days. But the actual Pirsume Nisa, the Pirsume Nisa, when the Jews came to the Beit HaMikdash, and they said to themselves, what's the first thing that we have to do? What is the thing that has to be rectified? Right? What, is, what in this list of stuff that we have to change, to fix, to make, to undo, what is the very first thing? And they said, lighting the light of the menorah and that's as the Rebbe explained that the Torah which is in the Aron which is in the small room that only enters is only entered by the Kohen Gadol and Yom HaKippurim nevertheless the Torah of that room is spread from the light of the uh, of the menorah which doesn't do anything in the room itself, but goes through the windows that are shkufim atumim into every house in, in, in uh, Am Yisrael. And so when the Jews thought to themselves about commemorating the event, right, what are they to do? So they did two things. They said al hanisim, which indicated again that God runs the world and that we can't think that we know the answers to all the questions that we might ask and the second thing they thought to do was to show that the light that they were missing 
that they corrected by taking the oil and lighting the menorah, that that light somehow existed in all of the Jewish homes around the world, and that eight days, eight days every year, they lit that light symbolizing or indicating that the light of the Torah was found in the house, in the house itself. So there's a conflation of different ideas and different, uh, 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 we suggest different kinds of solutions almost every, every, every year, but it seems to me, it seems that you remember that the windows were shkufim atumim, that they were narrow on the inside and wide on the outside, and that's what uh, Rashi, that's the way Rashi explains those two, those two words, you'll understand why the candles lit by the Kohen Gadol at night in the Beit HaMikdash were of such singular importance. I wish you all a Chagurim Sameach. Next week is Doshir.